Hi, this is Donnie V, and you're listening to the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show. Check it out. Welcome to episode 37 of the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show. I'm Joe, and this week's guest is singer-songwriter Katie Cole. Now, Katie's music is kind of Americana, storyteller, country, acoustic-type music. But she also writes dance, electronic music, writes music for other artists, and also is a touring member with Smashing Pumpkins, as well as sang on their most recent release. Now, if you've been liking the show... Don't forget to go over to Apple Podcast and rate the show and also write a review. Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram and Facebook. But now we're going to give Katie a call. Hello. Katie. Yes. What's going on? It's Joe with the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show. I'm just learning some songs from my online shows this week. That's what I'm digging into. <laughs> <laughs> learning them? You don't know them yet? Well, because they're, they're by request. All the shows that I do for, like, basically since we've had lockdown have been, like, by request Yeah. Uh, shows that are themed, and this theme is Guilty Pleasures, so that they, this has been the most random bucket list of songs you've ever seen. <laughs> oh, jeez. Hey, I want to let you know that my co-host Nick could not be with us tonight. He got stuck working again. Um, so oh, I, I have uh, my brother-in-law is actually here for the holidays. So he was gracious enough to sit in. His name is Josh. Hello. Oh, okay. Hi, Josh. How you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. <laughs> Having a good time with the family for the holidays. Oh, good. Good to hear. <laughs> we just got back from New York today. I went. He lives in New York, and I went to pick him up. I'm in Myrtle Beach. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. Jeez, well, it must be good to just be away from everybody and everything right now. Oh, it's so good to be out of the city. It's been eight months now that I've been in that town, and it's it's good to just get a break. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's a tough time for everybody everywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can't are, are, really get away from, like, the situation. Not at this you point. Can, you can have a scenic change and go, it feels different, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> Are you, are you in, where are you, Nashville? I'm in Nashville, correct. I could tell by the accent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, you were born in uh, Australia, though. Who told you? <laughs> <laughs> it was the accent again. How long were you uh, in Australia to uh, before you came over to the States? Well, my, pretty much my whole life. I mean, I moved, um, well, I started traveling back and forth to the States, um, would have been in 2010, or I feel about, about then, I think the year prior, prior to that, so it would have been like 2009, and then 2010, I moved. Um, so I've been here for almost 10 years, I suppose. Um, but it's, 
Still, I mean, I'm still me. Like, I, I mean, I have to change certain words and phrases around, uh-huh. but I still, like, I still have the inkling to say things that are very Australian, <laughs> but I don't, because I know that people look at me like I'm speaking a completely different language, which, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I am. <laughs> right, right, right. So when you when you first started playing music, um, how old were you? Uh, professionally, professionally, or um, just playing music? Well, I guess just learning and you know just getting started. Um, I, I suppose I grew up with music because it was always there in my family. Um, both my parents played and sang; were like super creative um, people. But um, I mean, I started playing professionally when I was about fifteen, sixteen. Um, wow. as a like a paid profession, um, it started out as like one or two gigs a week and sort of progressed onwards and onwards until it was, you know, five, six shows a week. When you were 15? Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. That, that, uh, in Australia, Australia, you're allowed in the clubs at that age? <laughs> no, you're not. So, so I started, <laughs> I was absolutely a working professional when... I should have been, and like, as I said, it was only like, you know, one or two gigs a week to start with until I, um, you know, I suppose I, I was doing it and I sort of knew it was something I really loved doing because I was obviously playing mostly covers and things like that because that's what Australia has the most allowance for, um, uh, pubs, clubs, cafes, bars, restaurants, all that stuff. Everybody has live music, but most people are booked to play covers and you know you throw a couple of originals in there when you can mm. but like that was my that was my day job during the week um and as I said like that progressed up until I was and I was probably you know 17 or 18 and then it started to be like you know a lot more gigs so three four five and as I progressed into my early 20s then it became you know five six seven nights a week or or even a couple of gigs a, a night and these were like three or four hour shows like I was I really did my very long apprenticeship um, and cut my teeth live as a professional. Um, nobody, I don't think anybody can, you can't learn the stuff that you learn when you play right. that amount of shows live. You have to do it and work out. Like it's on day five, if, you, if you're on gig five of the week where you're, where you're like, okay, now I have really bad calluses on my fingers and my fingers <laughs> hurt. Oh, <laughs> and then you get to a point of going, okay, well, it'll be cool because I don't have a gig on Tuesday, so that can be like my day off. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Whatever. So, um, but I was a professional from the get-go, so it was very, it was very strange to transition that career into um, the songwriter and the me actually following my path, but I, 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 I was already doing it. Uh-huh. So you came from a musical family, I take it, right? Yeah. <laughs> would you like me to paint you that picture? I would. <laughs> well, I grew up um, with me and my sister. I mean, we'll, we'll mostly raised in a single parent family with my mom. But when my dad was there, um, he was a classical, uh, vocally trained uh, classical singer, player, also classically trained piano player. My mom played piano, was, I don't know, I don't know if she had a master's in piano, but I know she was like, she was really, she read music very, very well. She paints and she sang and like there are musicians and artists right down both lines in the family. I could have worked that out. There were ballet dancers and jazz musicians and all this other, you know, all this other weirdo stuff. And I mean, my average weekend afternoon was spent, um, you know, with my mum playing and she'd just 
put on a record as loud as, like literally as loud as possible, would open up all the doors and windows of the house and share her music with the neighborhood. (laughs) I love (laughs) your mom. That would be, and it would be everything from um, Pink Floyd to Donovan to Led Zeppelin to Steve Ray Vaughan to Aretha Franklin. Like it was like everything and anything. She had such a huge scope of um, rock, you know, rock history and rock music that I really grew up sort of understanding um, music, not just like, you know, some people say I love music and they really mean I love music within this one genre, but I grew up with a lot of music. I suppose the only thing that I was lacking in my upbringing was uh, real country music, um, which I obviously moved to Nashville and traveling to Nashville, I sort of understood I got I got that dose of that one fresh that came over to America that I grew up with an insane amount of music. It was it was inescapable. I just thought it was something that everybody did until, as I said, I started playing live and when realised that oh, that was that was kind of my career path. Mm-hmm. Now you said your dad was classically trained. Did he um, did he make a career out of that or was it? No, he opted not to, and I'm not quite sure why. Like, I've had a few conversations with him over the years about it, but not too many. Like, he just, it just wasn't, I think he said he just didn't want to be on the stage. Like, he didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I get that. Like, everybody, it's not, it's absolutely not for everybody. Right. Um, but he was always very, very creative and always sang well, and I, I, I really appreciate that. Um, that both my parents sort of said, me and my sister, very, very different versions of music. My dad's side was mostly classical and opera and a bunch of that stuff. And my mum's side was just like <laughs> rock. It was all <laughs> like, over the board. <laughs> rock and roll all the time. It was, it was insanity. Yeah, yeah. So when you first started playing music, were you writing your own stuff or was it just the covers right away? Well, when I first started Learning, I think, I mean, I don't know if it's with every musician, because I can't speak for every musician. Well, I could speak for every musician. (laughs) (laughs) But I think when you first start learning an instrument, I learned piano by ear at around 12 or 13, and then taught myself guitar at about 14 and really picked it up properly when I was about 16, because when I started playing shows like it, like I only did a few gigs before I realized no I want to play something so I'd, I'd learn my one song to play at the, at the gigs right. and that would be my one song I played on guitar and that progressed into more and more and more but once you actually start picking up any instrument you start to kind of noodle well I did from mm-hmm. the get-go whether it was on piano or guitar like as soon as you can put chords together you start to put your own ideas together and because I grew up with and like I didn't realize it until I was really into my early 20s that because I had such a, an enormous, and I can't, like I want to use the word enormous and put several R's and O's and extra syllables in there, yeah. such an enormous scope of learning other people's music that I sort of had a really, really large understanding of chord progressions, why this melody works, what this inversion of this chord is, where it is, why it's played that way why it sounds the way, like I just sort of understood a lot about um, some writing structure and why a hit is a hit. And I didn't, it didn't click with me, as I said, until I was in my 20s that I was having this sort of education about songwriting by learning the thousands of songs that I learned. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Because you, 
they all sort of go in. I have a really good memory. I have, I don't know if it's a photographic memory, but I have a really good memory. And because you learn so many songs, they kind of all stay in their sort of catalog somewhere in your in your brain so that when you hear another song and you're like, oh, that's that chord progression. Like, that's the exact same chord progression as that song. Or that's part of the same melody structure as that. Your brain starts to sort of find the commonalities within hit songs and like some songs like I, I used to have to learn covers because it'd be like that's what's popular at the time and you'd be like I hate that sure. song I don't learn that song sure. <laughs> but you do anyway and once you play it to people and you know interpret it slightly differently because it's you and not the artist or whatever but once you play it and hear the words hear the melody coming out of yourself singing to people and you go oh that's why that's a hit Right. Sometimes that happened to me, and then and then I'd make my own sort of assessments about it. So I, me playing and writing all sort of happened. It, it, it was very much an amalgamation that happened all at the same time. So as soon as I could play, I could write. Uh-huh. But the more I played, the better I wrote, and that really became. But the more I understood about music, the more you sort of go, well, that's what to do, or that's what not to do, as you as you sort of. As he moves forward. Well, that was me. That was my experience of it. Yeah, Everyone's yeah. different. Yeah, well, you but said... But I said, I'm, I'm, repre- I'm representing everybody. I said. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, you said you learned piano by ear. Did you learn all instruments by ear, or did you take formal lessons, or what, what happened? No, there? I had to take some voice lessons at um, one of the high schools that I went to, because in order to, to learn music as a... Um, I think as a senior student, you had to be technically learning an instrument. So I was like, oh, let's take singing lessons. I, I, and I learned everything by ear, like as I said, piano by ear. Um, I mean, I, I and this is my best explanation of like me learning piano by ear with me noodling and going, that's a little bit of Beethoven Moonlight Sonata. Right. <laughs> that was me going, that's how that goes, fiddling around and going, I know where that is, or I know how to play that, and then hearing other songs and going, that's, that's not just the chords for this song, this is the inversion, this is where it's played on the guitar, it's like a capo on this fret in this chord shape, This is because I, I could recognize the difference between, not just this chord, but this chord played this way, I was starting to sort of make those determinations, and I had to learn voice, and I still, I still have so many memories from like my senior class doing music because I still couldn't read music. Right, <laughs> right. class, I passed. I remember getting like an A in performance. I remember my music teacher asking me, not accusing me, but asking me if I had, cause I had to compose a piece like on the spot or something, and I did. And he was asking me, no, that's something that that's someone else's thing, or that's something <laughs> else you already wrote. And I'm like, no. Nah. Like I didn't click back then that it's like, oh, that's a gift that you that you've got. I just when you do something all the time, you don't think anything of it until you're shown no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And nobody like my mum, even though she loved music, she was never like pushing me to do anything or 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 showcasing me to be like, oh, you you can really sing or you can really play. It was just always something my whole family did. Yeah, but. But as I got into my, you know, as I started, as I got into my senior year and realized I still can't read or write music, I'm somehow passing this class and I was already digging on the weekends, like in high school. It's like it all made sense that like just that's probably what you're going to do in life. Right, right. <laughs> you're can, probably not going to be a lawyer. Can you read music now? No. <laughs> I, mean, I can't either, so. 
I can't read. I can write sort of. I can write basic charts for myself, and if I really sit and think about it, I can kind of write charts for other people to mm-hmm. make sense of. But even then, they're not great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but. You know, and sometimes I have I pay up like friends of mine to chart things out for me if they have to be professionally um, transcribed for session musicians or something like that because that is not my strong point. Right, right. <laughs> my strong point is knowing exactly what I played and how I played it, yeah. and not being able to find it to anybody else. <laughs> right, right. So, so performing in Australia, growing up and playing the bars out there, how was the scene in Australia? Well, there's a, there's definitely a, like I've explained to other people as well that asked me that it's there was a scene and they you know there was a very very vibrant rock scene especially in Australia in the sort of sixties seventies eighties the nineties were you know a bit of a disaster for everybody right, and everything because right. the nineties for everybody were like are we in the eighties or are we doing something else like mm-hmm. there was this hybrid genres that. I love the 90s for that reason. Like, obviously, everybody can look back on it now and go, no, that's where, you know, obviously grunge came in, but then you have these really intense bands that are still being very true to very interesting 80s sounds, and then there was all these Popeyes that were breaking out of it. So there was all this weirdness that was happening. But the, the scene that was sort of happening in Australia was pretty eclectic, but at the same time, there wasn't much support for local artists and I mean, my my growing up in Australia was like, well, I can't, like, I'd look and there'd be like one, you know, radio network that was supporting Australian music. Um, and most of it was kind of very eclectic indie. I just want to say more strange music. Strange <laughs> like, music. The weirdest, like the weirdest sort of left of center stuff that was kind of interesting to listen to. That was the stuff that was getting supported. There wasn't so much uh, commercial Australian music that was getting played at the time, and I didn't find there was really an outlet for the sort of music I was making. Mm. I didn't heavily start looking because I was still a little bit young when I started making music there. But like, I, I, mean, I grew up read, I, reading all the liner notes of all the albums, and I, I mean, I, all I saw was all my favourite records pretty much were made in California. Right, <laughs> so right. like that's that was kind of in my brain of like that's you know, all my favorite records pretty much made either on the on the strip or in Hollywood somewhere in California and it didn't it wasn't something I ever thought of like oh you just you just wake up and go I'm going to go to Hollywood and be a star <laughs> you don't do that well some people do some people do yeah like, that's like the plot line of you know fifty percent of Hollywood movies right, but that's right. obviously not really happened um. But I had a, a couple of producers I really wanted to work with. As I said, like I read liner notes and found commonalities within those, you know, albums of really eclectic stuff. And I'm like, I really love these people because they're involved in all these different projects and they're at the level of excellence. It's, you know, really great producers, engineers. Like I just found people that I really liked and, mm-hmm. you know, started to list a couple of them on one of my websites. And that sort of came full circle to um, the producer that I still work with today reaching out to me going, would you ever come to Los Angeles? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, have a, uh, there's, there's now a reason to. It's not just me with a suitcase going, I'm going to be a star, mom. So was there any questions when, when that was Howard, right? Yes, correct. Howard Willing. Mm-hmm. Was there any questions when he gave you that offer? Like, were you thinking about it? Or? Oh, yeah, but, uh, we, we 
we spoke back and forth for a good few months. Um, I signed a small sort of production deal with him and a, and a couple of other partners that had formed a company at the time. And it was, you know, they were taking me on as a project to to work with. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm just going to just go over there and just fall beside. Right. <laughs> because I'm, I obviously was working, you know, five, six, seven nights a week. Like, I, Not that it's a day job, but it was my day job at night. So mm-hmm. I was still taking time off to go do a scene. Right, right. <laughs> um, so obviously we spoke for, a, you know, a couple of months and then it was like working out the songs that we were going to do. And I basically flew over there for um, my first trip over there, which was for, I don't know, I think it was like four weeks um, to basically start recording what would be my first American EP. And then flew over another few months later and finished up some more songs and, it was uh, it was really only a few months after that that I was like, well, I got to I got to move, you know. Wow. I just saw too much happening. I saw all these dots connecting. I saw all those, um, all those sort of liner notes and places and studios were like, oh, oh, oh crap, they're real. Like yeah. these are real people. This is how things happen. Australia is great, and you can you have a job here and you're doing a job, but it's still even though it's in music and you're performing, you're still just trading time for money. Like I, I was writing songs for other artists and I was actually having more success writing dance and electronica music for European artists and Australian Idol people. I was hmm. doing the songwriter sort of thing, but with my stuff, I wasn't really getting anything across the board because I just didn't, there wasn't an outlet for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was pop rock at the time. And with, you know, a tinge of sort of country in there and, and like, you know, my producer was, you know, he was joking with me at the, at the start, but he was like, you know, if you were you and this was, you know, five, ten years ago, he's like, you would have an enormous deal right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the times changed so quickly and so violently, obviously, when it went from, you know, audio cassette to um, CD and then CD to MP3 and just everyone just went, oh, God. You know, right. obviously the whole industry shifted, but I, I've i always been one to sort of chase down a dream and try to find something I'm excited about. And um, I'm so lucky to have, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you stumble into these things or if these things happen to you, but all I know is that I started down a path and it's still going and it's like, it's like going down the rabbit hole. Like I still don't know where it's <laughs> But that's going, exciting, right? But I just, but I'm excited about it, and, and like every opportunity that's come my way, that you, you know, obviously you know about mm-hmm. as well, like all the stuff with Smashing Pumpkins, and I, you know, I, I fell into things after I moved to Los Angeles, like working with um, uh, Glenn Campbell in the studio, oh. um, and this, I mean, there's just so many things that have happened to me. I could, I could run down the list, but it's just if I didn't do step one, which was move to Los Angeles, none of those things would have happened. It's it's like, yeah, it's like, I don't know, it's like Twilight Zone. I think about, like, if I didn't, right, <laughs> right, right. But if you that one thing, well, you know, parallel universes and such, you know, nonsense talk. But well, it's crazy I mean, when, when you say yes to things, and even if you're not sure, when you say yes to things, you take a chance. Yeah, it's amazing what you can accomplish. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's half the battle is being able to say yes, right? Well, I've learned, and this is like some. Part of it is me being foolish and ridiculous because that's also who I am, and I'm in, I embrace the inner nerd and the outer nerd all the time. 
because if you can't sort of make fun of yourself, you know, you can't, <laughs> if you take yourself too seriously in life, like you will drive yourself and everybody around you mental. Right. But I, you know, I said yes to the first couple of things that led me into, well, do you want to open up some shows for Glenn Campbell? Yeah. Do you want to do this? Yep. Uh, do you want to do this? Yep. To basically like Howard being, you know, obviously my producer at the time, but a long time collaborator with the Smashing Pumpkins and, you know, Billy Corgan comes to know who I am through that association. Does, you know, does Katie want to open up a show for me? A solo show for me in Chicago? Yes. I'm like, I don't know. I, I never know what I'm getting into because, but you're like saying I'm yes. You, you, you say yes to like me being in a basically a singer songwriter, Americana artist. I'll just open up for an alternative rock icon. Like, right. part of me is like, the, the audience are going to hate me. <laughs> They're going to hate everything that I do <laughs> because I'm not. And then, I mean, obviously, as you, as you know, you know, Billy Corgan's songwriting and the way that he plays when he plays acoustic, once you strip things back to they're sort of bare bones. Like a great song's a great song. And I, I really, it's, it's kind of blown my mind from that sort of initial beginning, moving into, well, do I want to open up a tour for the Smashing Pumpkins? Or do you also want to play bass on that tour? Okay. Yeah. Do I play, do I play bass? Sure. <laughs> I can play bass. <laughs> I can play anything you throw at me pretty much except for maybe a violin or something like that because that requires actual skill right. and training from like the youngest age possible. But I started doing, I started saying yes to these things that were extremely terrifying because again, I don't read or write music. I don't like, you know, Jimmy Chamberlain is a jazz drummer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like right. I don't, so Locking in, like on the second tour I did with the Pumpkins, which was uh, well, the second big tour I did with them, which was the second leg of the In Plain Song tour, which was 2016. Like the fans already sort of knew who I was from that first tour. They knew that I was a singer songwriter. The second tour, it was like Billy Corgan was like, "Hey, you want to sing a couple songs lead?" And I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sure. so, here's what you sing: Malibu from Hole." I sang. Stand inside your love with Billy, and it, like we're in where were we? I think it was Dallas. Yeah, we're in Dallas on that tour, and I ended up singing Tush from ZZ Top on that on that particular show in Texas. I didn't really know it. We just did it at Soundcheck, and it and it was just like, all right, let's do that. Did just you know the words? The song, it's like Dallas, Texas, Hollywood. <laughs> like it's got right. those words mm-hmm. in it, and the whole, like I sing those words, and the whole audience you hear. I just actually lost their mind. But I know what I can, I know what I'm physically capable of doing now. Like, I know if I get enough sleep, if I eat, (laughs) you know, on tour, I don't, you know, I don't drink, I don't go nuts, I'm not not a crazy party person or anything like that. I work my butt off, I show up on time, I just try to be a nice person and just try to shut up and listen to these. Especially if I'm on tour with the pumpkins, I just try and shut up and listen to these legends and learn something and be gracious about the position that I'm in. And I think, honestly, I would, there's no way I would have been afforded the opportunities that I have been given so far if I, and I've learned this now, and this is not me saying because I'm fantastic, uh-huh. but because I, I can do the job, I can show up and do the job, but 
I'm not a total pain in the ass to be around. Right. <laughs> I show up and I'm, I'm nice. I actually, I actually give a crap about what people are going through. I ask people how they are, get to know everybody's names and the crew. I could just try and be a nice human being. Like, it's the dumbest thing in the world to say to people. Like, people always ask me, like, what's the advice you give to people or blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, just be a good hang. <laughs> well, I mean, that that's true. I mean, if if you're a nice person, you know, the word's going to get around when somebody's looking for whether whatever it is, a singer to sing backups or play bass or whatever, you know, that word's going to get around that, you know, Katie's great. I mean, I learned from, like, I didn't, I didn't get, like, tons of feedback after the first tour about anything or anything. I heard a few bits and pieces come down the chain that the band were really happy with my participation and how I was and just being a pro and just showing up and doing the job. And it was also me being very um, careful about my position, like, on the first 2015 um, first leg of the In Plains on tour, I was still like, just, I didn't know my place. I didn't know the band members that well. I didn't know if I was, what I was doing there. <laughs> I, mean, right. I did, but you know, you're like, how, is more the, how did I get yeah, here? Yeah, how'd this happen? What's happening? Am I, is this real? Am I going to wake up and this is like the Matrix? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> what exactly is happening? Have I had too much coffee? Is this not even happening? Am I just having like a even day nightmare dream <laughs> like, pinching yourself anyway that bruises exactly but once I sort of got down that line and got through to you know the second leg of the tour and actually playing with Jimmy Chamberlain and James E. I came back to play some of those shows and I was like oh I'm really doing this and this is also a, a, a sort of iconic moment in rock history that this band is for the most part back together and I'm on the stage kind of I'm playing the shows and I'm also just watching it going I think I'm watching some history happen. Yeah. <laughs> like while well, I'm creating it but you're sort of having that sort of watching yourself in the moment watching this thing happen and watching these legends on stage and going oh I think this is I think this is sort of big and that progressing on to you know the arena tour and, and subsequent tours but meanwhile I'm sort of I'm tackling, like, I've got my career at the same time as this unraveling and I'm being embraced wholeheartedly by this alternative audience that I didn't expect and is 100% appreciated and welcomed. And, I mean, I launched, you know, crowdfunding things for my um, EP that I put out um, a year and a half ago and I was I was on tour at the time and just put stuff together and was like, if I've got all this attention on me. I should do something about it. Right. I should make a record. I should, I should involve these fans that seem to really care about what I'm doing, and that sort of that was a very, you know successful and that worked. And you know I've maintained sort of really good relationships with these fans um, right through all of the touring experiences. Not only am I, um, not only am I grateful for the fans, but like they sh- they see what I'm doing and go, that's whatever singer songwriter stuff. But I, I like that, you know, mm-hmm. I like the pumpkins. I like, they, they seem to be, and I'm finding out more so, they seem to be people that are more like myself. Like, I don't just like something within one genre. I like all this music. Yeah. And they seem to be embracing of that. Like, they like, and I think it also comes down to the fact that the, the Smashing Pumpkins are 
yes, an alternative um, rock band, but because Billy Corgan is Billy Corgan and his side projects have always been really eclectic and have spanned being you know, either electronic or very acoustic and like his last solo record, Cotillions, which I sang on uh, like half a dozen songs on that, was very um, alt-country, um, alt bluegrass, folk in nature. And his fans were just like, yep, they're great songs. I don't care what that is. The songs are great. We'll just, they appreciate the songs. And that's been a real eye-opening thing for me to go, the fans like what I'm doing as well because they're also exposed to all this music, like all these ideas. It's just been really, it's been really wonderful. Mm-hmm. Now we're, when you were working with Glenn Campbell and the Pumpkins, were they uh, pretty supportive of your own solo career, that side of it? Well, yeah. Well, when I worked, when I worked with Glenn Campbell, I, I did two things. Like I did, I played sort of two roles in that. I sang on um, a couple songs for him for his Ghost on the Canvas record, which was, well, technically his last official release. Um, and he was he was always lovely to me. Like he was always lovely to me. Always knew who I was. And I suppose at the time he was starting to go through um, the early stages of Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Um, I, no one, I don't think anyone really knew at the time. They just knew something wasn't quite there. But he got onto stage and like I opened some shows for him. Um, it was either that year or the year prior to that. I opened some shows for him in Nevada and. He would just say stuff to me like he 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 was supportive, but he would just tell me stories. Yeah. <laughs> he would walk up to the side. He would hear my name, but he'd be like, he told me stories about like uh, this one kid that when he was playing in Australia like decades ago. This one kid in the audience that was like, you know, when I grow up, I want to be just like you and you know, play guitar just like you and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it turns out that was Keith Urban. Just, wow. He just would tell me stories. And I'd just be, again, it was that thing of when you're around somebody that's had that much experience, you just shut up and listen and yeah. you go, okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> stories, Mr. Campbell. But he was such an incredible human being. And on stage, like, he would just, I don't know whether, whether it was his autopilot, but, like, he would just, his voice was was clean to the you know to the last measure. The way he played guitar was like, you know, like he'd always played like an exceptional guitar player. Like a lot of people don't know that about him and his history with the Wrecking oh, Crew yeah. and playing all, all those super iconic albums. And I didn't know that stuff until I moved to America. And and really, it was Howard Willing that told me that you know you should find you should listen to more of his music and find out more about his history because that guy is. And I, you know, I know that now. Mm-hmm. But grew up with it. Like he's a he's a legend for all of those reasons: the songs, the music, playing on all those records, and just being an exceptional, just all round musician, just crazy talented. Were you aware of Glenn Campbell before you came to the states? Like, was he? Did you know yeah, of him knew, in Australia? I knew, I knew of him, and I knew a couple of his songs, but I didn't know. I didn't know his, you know, his immense body of work and what he really meant to America, mm-hmm. if that means anything. Mm-hmm. Like, what he sort of meant, he's just kind of one of those, I don't know, like he sang songs that really got to people. I don't know. They were all really heartfelt, and I don't know, because I'd only heard, like, a couple of songs. I just wasn't exposed to it. Uh-huh. 
that it was like when I moved to America and I learned about it. And as I said, I started doing trips out to Nashville and you start to sort of listen to, you know, whether it's, you know, Glen Campbell or anything by the Carter family or you hear those real American country songs and you're like, oh, this all makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. You look around at the, you know, at the um, skyline and the area that you're in and you go, oh, yeah, this like you couldn't, like I couldn't understand if I'd heard all that music growing up. I don't think it would have meant the same thing. But mm. when you hear like the right country music in the right setting in the right space and you're like, <laughs> like if it's real humid <laughs> and you're outside and you just, it's it's very, it's a was, yeah, very strange realization for me. But I didn't grow up with it, but I have a massive appreciation for it now. Yeah. What What did you listen to when you were growing up? What were your early influences? Well, I mean, I definitely thieved at my mum's record collection a lot because it was there. So I mean, my early, I mean, my early sort of ramblings into music, I suppose, were everything from I don't know, Little Richard, right through to Eurythmics and you know Stevie Ray or Stevie Wonder. Yeah, a little bit <laughs> of everything. It was kind of a bit of. Everything and I mean, I when I sort of decided, like in my mind as a young teenager before I started playing live, like that music was the thing or whatever. Like I was listening to, I don't know whether it was yeah. I mean, I listened to a little bit of Smashing Pumpkins, but it was you know Soundgarden and Stone Temple Pilots and the Colts and right. I mean, I, I mean, it was just really a bit of everything along with all that other stuff. Right. And I listened to all that stuff all at the same time. So I didn't, I definitely didn't binge on one genre. It was, it was all of those things made sense to me all at the same time. Um, and they definitely all sort of shaped um, what I love about great music and what, I, what sort of has flowed into my songwriting because, I mean, if it wasn't, obviously, you can't not talk about the Beatles because every artist in the universe is good for Beatles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for me, I mean, I just, I mean, those were some of the early songs that I learnt, you know, on guitar and playing, but like once you actually sort of dig right through, you know, the collection of songs that to, to right through to, you know, to me, like the heart of the Beatles, which was, you know, Rubber Soul and Revolver and dig into those songs and go, and go, ah, oh, like all those key changes, all those shifts, all those big sort of choral, interesting, weird things that, the band did, but they also obviously learned a lot from George Martin, sort of escalating and um, conjuring all this stuff out of them as well. Like I love, I just loved all of the weirdness and I've maintained that even if I've tried to go here or here or here with my music, there's been so many times in my life where I've, you know, I've written a song or I've played it to Howard and he's gone like, nah, go further. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've gone, I've gone, you know what? I think there's supposed to be a section in this song. I have a song on my um, last uh, EP that I put out. Not I've put out several singles since, but the last EP I put out, which is Things That Break Part 1, there's a song on it called um, Rest in Pieces, which is kind of acoustic and then it picks up. But that was a song that I had that Howard was like, nah, there's something missing in that. And I was like, you know, I was thinking about putting a section in this song. And I've learned now to if something's missing or it just feels like it's not going as far as it should or it doesn't hit that sort of 
oh wow moment in you like I've mm-hmm. learned to write it into the song like don't don't wait for it to be something that happens in the studio but don't wait for the magic to happen there write it into the song write it into the DNA of the structure and like that was one of those songs I went back to and was like nah and I wrote like a big sort of shifting section in it where it becomes very Beatlesque, mm-hmm. opens up, has a huge like raging guitar solo in the song, and then comes back down to being acoustic. And it's um, like it's it, unexpected and amazing. It was like one of my favorite moments on the record. Same with another song on the on that on that um, EP, a song called Graceland. Uh-huh. It was a simple sort of solo, you know, song about sort of unrequited love kind of being the bad guy in the relationship relationship going, you know, I'm going to hike it out of here basically because I sort of did you wrong, et cetera. That's the premise of the song. Right. But it was one of those songs that I just felt like it didn't have that Aretha Franklin sort of Otis Redding moment that I was like, you know, and you're kind of shaking your fist at like the song going, ah, I just want like, I want more. Like, I yeah. just want yeah, yeah. that little bit. I want that moment and it was another one of those write it into the song write it into the song so that it cannot be missed and everything else has to react to it so i wrote a horn section into the song which became the solo and it has that big sort of melodic shift and it has that big sort of otis you know horn moment where you go oh or the big sort of sam and dave sort of motown stacks you know horn section moment and Everything else has to react to it, and you emotionally get that fix that you wanted. Bang, smack back into the chorus, and it's 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 one of those things that it's like unexpected, but needed, so needed. Right, like, right. So that you're not letting down your listeners, but you're giving them the like. I don't know. I want to create songs that people listen to in five, ten, twenty years time and go, "That's still great and yeah, exciting." Songs that are going to last. Yeah. Yeah. What um when you're writing a song is it, I mean how do you usually start your songs? Is it with a guitar riff, a melody line in the vocals, or just words on paper? What what usually is your form formula for a song? It's a couple of different things. Um, it depends on the song. There's two main sort of methods, which is either me just sitting with either a guitar or piano and coming up with just an initial. I mean, all songs usually start with the initial sort of blob of something, and it's like a ball of clay that you sort of have to mold into something, but you couldn't do something with that, that initial blob. Right. And sometimes that initial thing comes out, and I've got my voice memo open on my phone, and I'm like, record. (laughs) (laughs) I'll come back to it and be like, there's something there with this moment. But I find I have more success with the sort of songwriting, my songwriting method of title, concept song so you have a song title so i mean i'm always collecting song titles which usually either things that just sound interesting to me at the time mm-hmm. whether it's a phrase or a word not just keep documents or stuff in my phone of just these things or like if you're reading something and it just pops out to you and it means something and you're like i don't know why that means something to me but it just does that's yeah, when i'll document. write something down then I'll write the concept around it. Well, I think that title is about this story that happens. Like this person does this, or it's about this broken home, or it's about a relationship that just isn't quite what it should be. You know, I'll write the story for it. Like the when you're flicking through, you know, whatever, 
your television show and you're you seeing like the synopsis of the TV yeah, show. Yeah. That's about as much information as I'll usually write down or I'll think about. Sometimes I'll start to come up with some, you know, word vomit lyrics that I'll just be like, here's some things that I'm trying to, that I'm thinking of right now about this concept with no melody in mind, no song in mind, just the lyrical idea of this story, just the things that sound interesting about this story. Then when I go to sit down and play weird stuff on guitar and piano and come up with something, it'll sometimes those chords will evoke an melody or an emotion and I'll, my brain will go, oh, that thing right. that I was writing. That's that. That's that thing that I was writing. That's that song title. Um, I mean, a good example is um, a song of mine um, called All My Winters, which was on, actually on that same EP. Um, I had that song title for, for blur forever. It was just was just all my winters. I just thought the I just thought the words sounded nice. Uh-huh. I didn't know what it was about. It was just in my many random documents of lyrics and things, ideas and whatnot. All my winters was sit, sitting there. I'd come up with like a few things a couple of times lyrically, and was like, "This is all just garbage stuff. This is this is just garbage words." <laughs> but I still kept kept on to that idea that I'm like, I like this. I like this title. So I started coming up coming up with them. A chord progression one day wasn't trying to write for that title, wasn't trying to do anything, and started coming up with just some some words that were extremely dark, <laughs> really <laughs> twisted and dark. It was basically, it's a song about being heartbroken, but just the really vivid imagery is just basically going all the way to the other side of darkness with it. And I just thought, well... All my winters came today when you took your love away. And I, I mean, that, I knew right away, I'm like, that's the chorus of this song that I write. I knew it. And I married the two together. And once you know your title concept in the song, you know where you're going to end up. Like, that's why it's a successful idea for me. I know what I'm, what I'm going to end up with. And I know when I'm not there. (laughs) More than knowing when you're there, you always know when you're there but you know when you're not there, I haven't said that thing yet, or I haven't made the point yet, you right. know? So that's kind of my my most successful thing of songwriting. But sometimes I'll just sit down and write, and a song will literally just come out start to finish, and I'll just come back to the, the rewriting. Because I, I usually, usually will write something and come back and rewrite, mm-hmm. you know, the I... lyric two, three times, sometimes more. Sometimes it's just one little section that just... Yeah, it just does that to me, and I'm like, eh. Right. And if I do that for myself, or play it to my producer, and how it's like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm like, damn it, <laughs> I do know, because you know, you don't need someone else to tell you. You sometimes need someone else to go. This is why. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but like I've learned now, like if it bothers me, if, if a word sparks weird or a phrase sparks weird or this verse just doesn't make sense to you as much as the first verse, just change it. Like I'm not precious about things anymore. I'll just save his version one. Then I just move like the word document down to his version two and I start writing it. Uh-huh. You can always go back to what you've got. Like it's not, you know, nothing's ever fixed. And a lot of the time, like I'll take voice memo upon, upon voice memo of, ideas 
you can always go back to the thing you've got. Yeah. But if it's 5% better, if it's 10% better, it's 10% better. Like, yeah, that's fine. That's great. What Do you find it harder to write for other people or for yourself? Um, it's It's different because, like, I usually write the song for the song. And if I know, like, I... I've, I've always been that way. Like if I'm in the room with other co-writers or whatever, you write the song for the best song possible. And I know the difference between I would say that to everyone would say that. Um, so some themes and like personal language that you might use in a song aren't appropriate for songs that you might write for everyone else. Right. But often, often a great song is a great song. And often it's the rewriting of songs that I know are for me that I will take things way off the cliff because I know that it's for me and I know I have to see how far I can go with something. Like I, I'm not going to like Summer and Louise the lyrics like to <laughs> everyone else's songs, but right. I want to know that I've gone like as far as I can go with either an idea or telling a story, or to see, like, if I twist the point of view or perspective to make it less general and more specific, if it hurts it or makes it better. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's always worth investigating. If you know that a song is great, to see what else you can do with it. And I'm not saying, like, it's great, let's break it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not that person that's, like, never satisfied, but I want to know. Sometimes, well, if it went in this direction, if it was about this instead of that, uh, would that be better for the chorus? Or you know, I, right. Right. I just, I just, try, I try different things, but most of the time, I write the song for the song, and a great song's a great song, and if it's for someone else, that's fine. Like I really don't care. Mm-hmm. Like I don't care if someone else was to cover my songs or if I mean I, I don't have a publishing deal so I'm not having to write all these songs all the time for everybody mm-hmm. but when I first came to Nashville and when I was first traveling to Nashville I was writing in that style with all these people all the time and I was finding that I mean this is my my experience of that process of writing all the time like writing either every day or several times a week was if you look at the if you look at say the end of the month if you look at the end of the month okay well I have twenty songs how many of those twenty songs are really good really yeah. really exceptional songs you look at your numbers and then go well out of each out of the year then that's twenty times twelve mm-hmm. how many of those songs are really exceptional and once it, when I started to sort of cull down the amount of songs I was writing and who I was writing with to writing either with myself or just with people that I really trust and have good sort of language with, um, I just found my numbers either stayed the same that these are the great songs, but I was writing less songs and making more of them better songs. Like I was just making, I suppose I was putting more energy, focus and rewriting capability into the songs I was writing. Mm-hmm. Um rather than just writing to write. Sure. Because I know how to write a song. I've written thousands of them. Yeah, tons of them. And there's no... And I'm not saying, like, you never know which is going to be the song that 
sort of gets you across the line or you never know which is going to be the song that everybody reaches out for and goes, that's the song, or I love that, or it ends up in this person's hand. Like, a great song has legs, and you don't know which ones are going to be the great songs. No matter what anyone tells you, <laughs> you can really love a song, but what people choose and tell you, no, that's the song, is sometimes going to be worlds apart, like worlds apart, like yeah. which is the song. I, I, you know, when I put out that EP I've mentioned a couple of times, I was like, oh, everyone's going to love this song. And they all went to like the totally acoustic song. On the <laughs> I was like, I was like, okay. <laughs> but you know, they're right. They're, they if if more people love this one song, then <laughs> the audience has spoken. <laughs> that's that's, yeah. that's, that's yeah. the winner. Doesn't matter. You love all the songs. Like they wouldn't be on your recordings, or you wouldn't have bothered to put time into them if you didn't love them. I love all the songs that I put time and energy into. And as I said to you before, I rewrite them to death that I know what I've done with them and why they are the way that they are. They're not just, oh, I ran out of time and this is the No, these are the best songs in the best possible uh, way that they could be, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I'm happy with all of them. If you all like this one song rather than these other ones, I don't care. Like, that's great. Yeah, because you like them all. <laughs> you love that one. I love all of them. They're all yeah. my children. I love them equally. Right, right. What um? Why did you go to Nashville? Um. Well, I was traveling back and forth from Los Angeles to Nashville. I started doing that around 2011, 2012, just because I. I mean, I sort of landed in Los Angeles. I'd started to establish things. I'd started to do shows and build up the fan base. Yada yada. Mm-hmm. Started to tour and do all that stuff, and then I started to get that sort of vibe of. Well, Nashville is where the songwriters, the best songwriters in the world are in Nashville. And uh, I just started to hear this thing coming back and forth into my, um, I don't know, it wasn't necessarily my circle of friends, but it start, I, when I hear these things, it started to mean something to me. And I'm like, well, I should probably go to Nashville and see what that's about. Mm-hmm. So I started making, you know, semi-regular trips. I went out there like every three or four months just to do writing sessions with other songwriters and just, I don't know, get to know people, the industry there, the business side of things there, and get to know what that town was about. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. Like, it was, I found there was a much uh, bigger sense of community and collaboration there than there was in Los Angeles. Like, Los Angeles has its thing. Like, every major city has its thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nashville just had this thing of... I don't know, I just felt like a big sort of family. Like, it was a bit foreign to me because it is the South, and it's, like, I'm sure I'm from the South, I'm south of the equator, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the South, and it's a bit foreign, and, like, people talk a bit slower, and like, that was very jarring to me because I talk quickly, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, my humor's very dry, and I, cut, right. you know, I cut myself off, I make fun of myself. And, you know, a lot of people there didn't know how to get a read on me. They'd just be like, what? Like, what are you? (laughs) And I'm just like, hi, you know. But the things that sort of, I I was constantly being interrupted, you know, where are you from? You're not from here, blah, blah. And I'd just be like, yeah, I'm from Alabama. Yeah. (laughs) It it had to be the accent again. Oh, yeah. The accent every time. But, 
it, it, it used to kind of annoy me at first, like, oh, God, I just want to, like, do my thing and not talk about Australia or your, you know, second best friend's cousin that visited Australia once or whatever. Because everyone wants to tell you a story about something. But that's, like, I know now, like, that's a blessing. You've got a point of difference with people. You've got a reason for people to open up to you and tell you something strange and random about themselves or someone they know. And you've also got a random opportunity to tell someone about yourself or where you're from or why. Like, it's kind of an opportunity to have a connection. And, like, I, I've learned to sort of embrace that. Like, it used to annoy me and it used to get, get in the way of, like, I just want to order my coffee or whatever. It's now that thing of, oh, no, that's an absolute blessing. I'm thankful to have, like, this strange accent that people are like, you know, are you from England? And I'll just do it, yeah. It's a blessing, as I said. I've, I've, I embrace it now. It's something that is, it's a, I mean, you know, there's tons of Australians in America and tons of Australians are actually in Nashville. But it's a it's a point of difference for me, and like I'll take it. But I like Nashville. Nashville is very. Um, it's just I don't know. It just feels a bit more like a. It's a big small town. Sure. Like it's not. You know, it's obviously not New York. It's not LA. It's not San Francisco. Not Melbourne. It's not a huge metropolitan city. Sure. It thinks it is. And it, I love it, it. I it's love growing it though, right? It's growing. It's massive. But I used to I used to find it quite. Um, humorous when I um, first, uh, you know, moved to Nashville that um, people would ask me about, like, what it's like moving to Nashville, like if Nashville was the big city, and I'm like, I'm, like, I'm from Melbourne. You know, where it's three million people or three and a half million people, what are you talking yeah. about? But, but they don't know, and, like, I, it's exciting, and Nashville is definitely a melting pot for so many things that are creative and I love it about that as I was saying about that community and collaborative thing like that's real and it's still that big small town thing and so many people that I know from you know from Los Angeles moved either to Nashville or back to Nashville or people have moved from all over to come to Nashville because it's um it's more cost effective to live here as well but it's I like it because it's that it's a real center point for like middle America as well, because you can sure. drive to okay, so many in terms of not that anyone can tour anymore, but if you were to tour, it's a good sort of central hub close enough to Chicago. It's not too far away from New York. It's pretty close to Atlanta. Like you can kind of drive anywhere. Whereas LA, you're very much locked to the yeah, West coast. You're stuck and over there. Got, that's what it is. And I, I mean, I'm not, it's, it's in every, Everywhere I've been, like, and I've been everywhere across America, like, being the strange foreign girl that I am, I'm like, I've been to more places in America than most Americans. <laughs> it's, it's crazy because of the touring. And, like, I've always made it my point when on tour, even if it's even if it's literally just to go down the street and get a coffee or go have a meal somewhere, just to see something in every single city that you go to. Yeah, get out no matter what it. city, state, country you're in, go see the place that you're in because if you're not back there again, the only memories that you'll have are of the two of us and the hotel and the stage. And like, that's great. That's wonderful. You have a great attitude, Katie. You can be like, that you can be like that shampoo in that hotel. (laughs) (laughs) 
I I learned that that you just gotta embrace each moment that you've got because okay, as I said, I said I've said yes to so many strange things in my life that have led me up to this point that like I learned if you just take that little bit extra time to find out something about the place that you're in or find a landmark or maybe there's a museum. If you've got a few hours and sometimes you're in a city and that's all you've got, you've got four hours, four hours to do something. Go do, just find the thing. Go find yeah. the thing. Like I tried to collect postcards from every single city in um, Europe when I was there last year with um, Smashing Pumpkins, but also opening up for, for Billy Solo as well because we had we did all these festivals and all these solo shows. It was uh, well, seventeen European countries, and obviously we did America and Canada. So nineteen countries I went to wow. last year, um, which is nuts, nuts, banana nuts. I get that. A lot more than but you've been still, to this year, right? Yeah. I mean, I've been to one. I've definitely been to more than one room in my house. <laughs> but when you've got the, that's the thing. I'm so proud of myself. Like what, like literally going, I am going to sacrifice a little bit of sleep so I can get up and see like the grounds at, at the palace in Versailles because right. I'm here. I'm going to wake up at the crack of balls early dawn and just go walk around this place or be like, okay, well, everyone's got the Dallas and Florence and they're all staying in the hotel and nobody's going out. I'm going to walk to town and it's two and a half miles. I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> going. Yeah. I mean, and that's great. The town because, you know, there's a bunch of incredible museums there. There were street artists. You know, there's gelato. There's so much to I had some ravioli there. It's like you just go do a thing. Go do something to create. If you don't create memories in these amazing places that you get to go to, even if it's just some random tourist stop. <laughs> Here's a good one. In Dentonville in um, Arkansas. Right. And you're like, where? No, no, yeah, <laughs> I know. I know what you're talking about. I was like, we're playing the Rogers Amphitheater and I'm like, well, what is there here? <laughs> what can I do here? <laughs> I'm in Arkansas. Um, and I'm like, okay, there is the Walmart Museum. A Walmart Museum? So, That's where Walmart is, I know, Arkansas. Right. Oh. I know, because you're thinking to yourself, <laughs> what the <Yeah>. hell? <laughs> what? And you might be using more expletives in your mind than that. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, it's the same thing. I, you know, because I, I, as I said, I look up on my phone when I get to see my what is here, what landmarks are here, what's of importance is here. <laughs> the Walmart is here, <laughs> and it's free. And you walk in, and you basically see, like, it's all got like a recreation of like. Yeah, the guy that created Walmart, his original desk, and there's got like the you know the inception of Walmart and how it spread out throughout the country, and, how, and it's got like little talky things. Learn some facts about this and that. Wow. And like there were actual people in there taking photos of the exhibit. <laughs> I went, I went in there because I was like, wow, this is it's kind of like kitschy but fun, maybe, and maybe this will be cool and. Like, you, you walk through this thing and you're like, I don't know what is happening. What's going on? <laughs> and it pops you out into, obviously, the gift shop. And it's just, like, full of all these really strange toys and, like, Walmart 
things and icons and then like 50 style candy and I was like <laughs> what <the hell?" laughs> it was like, but it was amazing I'm just saying I, I'm just saying I went to Arkansas Bentonville and was like I saw that yeah okay, it's not it's not the best memory did it win over going to see the Prado in uh in wherever I was Brazil where was it? Yeah. And it's like, no, it right. doesn't win over this museum or that place or, you know, seeing certain, you know, certain landmarks that I've seen. No, but I have that memory because I bothered. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And how many people can and say I, they've been there? I find fuck about this museum. It's like, if you're ever there, check it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been to the Bush's Baked Bean Museum. Did you know there was one of those? No. <laughs> well, it's not. Well, but I don't exactly. know. What's that? But and it's the sort of thing, exactly. Yeah, if, yeah. If it's in place or somewhere where you're near, it's like, go check it out. You never know. It might be amazing. Well, I was I was going to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, from Myrtle Beach, and you got to go the way that you go. You pass right past that museum. So if you're ever and you're like, in Gatlinburg, you're like, oh, it's Yeah, we got to stop. I even bought a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Those are all great memories, though. You know, it's it's that's the stuff people can't take away from you. No, not at all. And like I, I mean, I have lots and lots and lots of those little strange memories because, of course, I'm going out to all these strange places on my own, um, strange cities or strange countries, and I'm like, I don't know what <laughs> where I'm going, <laughs> what I'm doing. Right. But I'm just looking for some. I don't know. I, whether it's a memory or just, I'm just looking for some sort of something exciting to to see, just something new. Well, I mean, oh, that's otherwise awesome. you just that's, think, that's fantastic that you do I that. Know. Yeah. I try. I just I just try because this I've given I've been given so many amazing opportunities and touring and doing all this stuff, and it's nice to be like. I went out and saw a thing today. Right. <laughs> I'm now playing a show cool, I get to have a few hours sleep or whatever and have something something to eat and I get to do it again in another country the next day. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> and, but you don't get to do that every day. I mean, yes, you can treat every day like that and you can be like the world's most inspiring person. I can't, it's, it's exhausting to do it when you're on tour, but I feel like you kind of have to, well, not have to, but look, when am I going to be in Luxembourg next? Right. right. Yeah. I went yeah. to Poland. I went to Poland and was like, what do I do in Poland? So I went and got pierogies. <laughs> that's awesome. I love pierogies. And you got them in Poland. But that's the thing. I I have so many of these really weird-ass memories because I was like, I want to be able to, I don't know, look back on my life and go, I have a little memory in every single place. It's not just, oh, I remember that thing or that blur. Mm-hmm. I know I've met a lot of musicians that are like, oh, I've been to that place, but I haven't really seen it. Or I've been there a bunch of times, but I haven't really right. seen the I've city. Heard I'm like, I've, I've heard that from a lot. Of, I don't, and I know, like, you don't always have time to see a place or do a thing. Like, I'm bummed. I was in Glasgow at the start of the um, solo um, Billy Corgan tour because we did festival shows and 
um, a few solo show dates in in Europe, and then it broke and it went for a few weeks, and then it broke into two weeks of a Billy Corbin solo tour, where the rest of the band went on a vacation for two weeks, and then came back to do more shows. So they all stayed in Europe and did stuff, and me and Billy and tour manager went and did all these solo dates. So that was our vacation to go do more shows, <laughs> but everybody had their break there because we, you know, we were going for it pretty hard. It's like show, 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 festival, festival. So it was pretty back to back. Like it would have been nice to have a break, but it was like doing a solo show or a solo tour, I should say, Uh where I get to play my music in front of all these fans. And that's my, literally that's my demographic. Billy playing his solo stuff, listening to me playing my solo stuff back to back is, that's my jam. Like those are fans that I can win over for life. Sure. So it's, it's like, it's, it's like, oh, that's my, there's my window, go. Right, all <laughs> you right. Know, the start of that solo tour, like the day before, I was like, I'm definitely getting sick. Like I knew it. Like I just, something oh, no. was wrong. It turns out that, that I think it was Jimmy got sick too as, as well, but like literally we get there to Scotland in Glasgow and I was like telling the tour manager, I'm like, I'm like, I have to go to a doctor. I'm like, I'm like, I'm, it's bad. Like my voice was closing up. Everything was shutting down. And I was like, oh, this is bad. He ended up getting me adopted to my hotel room a few hours before the show. I get some drugs. I get some steroids. <laughs> she's, off, she's off and running. Really? But I didn't get to see him in Glasgow. And, like, you know, t- you don't tell your audience. You don't tell your fans. You sure. don't tell anybody that anything's ever wrong because yeah. you don't share that with them. That's not, that's not who they come to see. Yeah. They don't come to see you when you're sick or injured or having a bad day or depressed or whatever. They want to see you do your show and you should always give them, well, the best possible thing that you can. Like leave all your troubles at the foot of the stage, go do your show. Yeah. But I didn't get to see Glasgow and I was super bummed about that because I was like, you know, I really wanted to. But I had to, I had to rest and I was desperately trying to find a doctor and then finally got a doctor. And like that's. But it's the thing. Every other city, I did something somewhere. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I had my I had my Guinness in an Irish pub in Dublin. Like I did all my goofy nice. stuff that you can't go do. <laughs> um, yeah. You know. That's the way I'm, to do I'm it. I'm so grateful for it. Oh yeah. Hey, you know what? We uh, caught you on uh, Jimmy Fallon the other night. Oh yeah. Did you see my side profile? <laughs> I could. Now that. <laughs> I did. Got my, got my one good side. You you do what? I said you got my one good side. <laughs> no, yeah, we did catch it. I, I uh, recorded it because I couldn't stay up that late. Oh yeah, I recorded it too. And before I even um, before I even got to watch it the next day, I was like, our friend had already posted it. But. You know, even though you know I couldn't be in the studio, it's like that's a bu- another bucket list check for me that I will take. I will take that one, and I will be like, "Yep, yeah." <laughs> I, I, it's not just a virtual bucket list check, but it's to me. I'm I'm taking that. I'm taking that one home. Um, I mean, I physically got to do um, the Colbert show with the Pumpkins last year. Uh-huh. And actually put into the Ed Sullivan Theater, and like that was nice. something I lost my mind over because I was like, one of my dreams was always like, could be on Dave Letterman, and like obviously Dave Letterman stopped doing the Dave That's, that's got to just be blowing but, your mind when you're doing stuff like that, and you're doing it with the pumpkins. Yeah. Oh yeah, because you're like, how like, you know, because you say things to yourself or out loud, like, one day I'm gonna do. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
group and just your voices trails up into nonsensical things. But when you actually get to do these things and yeah, play these iconic shows or step foot into these iconic theatres or or television um, studios, it's like, oh my god, you know, you do have. Well, I I do. I have moments of just immense gratitude and just I just try and be super respectful of why I'm there, who I'm there to support, what I'm there to do. It's not my moment. It's everyone's moment. Like you know, I just I just try and be, I just try and be there in the, like what I like what I am with every show mm-hmm. that I do. Um, like if I'm playing whatever festivals or whatever, like I got to see what you know, whatever, 50,000 people looks like, oh, there's 70,000 people. Oh, Download Festival in the UK. There's 100,000 people, Katie. That's what it looks like. (laughs) You know? Yeah. It doesn't look like that, Katie. And you don't have a chance to sort of sit on stage and be like, go. Right, right. You just have to sort of suck it up and be like, that's this moment. Yeah. Enjoy it and play, like, remember the songs. (laughs) <laughs> remember to sing like you know just although you just have to kind of because you think you get you think you're anticipating a moment or you think you're going to get used to it or be used to it and you're not all those moments are still like oh my god wow you yeah know, to me they are yeah i mean they probably always will be i would imagine well i hope so i mean yeah. I, I don't know so maybe maybe other people are like you know <laughs> no big deal <laughs> for me i'm like oh my god right right <laughs> So with um with this whole lockdown, it, um you've been doing a lot of online stuff. I've noticed. Um, is it yes? And how has all that been going for you? It's been great. Uh, I've had I've been doing online shows um pretty regularly since March. Um, March was when sort of the first lockdown really really started. I mean, in March for me. Um, mm-hmm. We we had originally had a horrific tornado that came through at the start of March. Yeah, I remember that. Didn't touch my place, but it leveled a bunch of Nashville and was quite devastating. And then it was only like a week, maybe a week and a half later, where it was like, and the world is cancelled. Right. Um, so Nashville, in its own sort of right, was trying to rebuild from one devastation to have this double um, sort of this double tragedy disaster thing happening at the same time but I started to sort of go well what can I do and I was sort of watching everybody just go live on Facebook and Instagram and everything and be like okay I'm like I knew like I knew after seeing a few shows and watching a few bits and pieces I'm like this is going to get old really quickly like people are going to miss real shows what what can you do, meaning me talking to myself, pointing a finger at myself, what can you do to create a show experience? And I don't have a stage in my room. Like I set up a backdrop, I do a thing, but I, you know, I played a couple of shows that were a bit more like Katie Cole and a couple of covers. And I was like, okay, that's, that goes only so far. You need to make a show for the people. You need to make something that fans are going to be engaged with, something that's going to be exciting, and the fact that everybody's going through a massive amount of devastation right now, mm-hmm. whether it's out of can't go out, lost the job, don't have any money, can't go to concerts, don't have freedom, a manager stay home, people are sick, everyone was going through 
So I was like, create a fun, engaging, concert, interactive, spectacular. <laughs> that was like, that was my, you know, let's raise the bar up as high as possible. <laughs> um, so I was like, let's try and do something exciting for people so it can be their show. So I started doing theme shows and I started doing like, I did 80s theme, <laughs> like I did a like soul theme, ladies of song. Uh, I did 80s part two. I did songs <laughs> from movies. Um, at the moment, I'm gearing up um, this week to do, on Saturday, I've got two shows. because I do one for the European time zone and one for America. Wow. Um, or America and Australia. Um, my theme this time is Guilty Pleasures. Guilty so Pleasures. We're now at that point. Yeah, Guilty Pleasures. Like the songs that you really like and you really feel embarrassed that you love them. <laughs> <laughs> just like songs, whether whether they're earworms or just songs that you like. <sighs> I hate that I love this song. Like those are those songs. And I just thought, you know what? I haven't touched the songs. Like so many of the songs that I've learned and played for these shows have been, you know, I mean, for the 80s, you know, for the 80s show, it's like I, you know, had I did, you know, Power of Love. Huey Lewis, <laughs> you know, a lot wow. of songs from Tears for Fears and, you know, it's just about the cure and like there's a bunch of everything. It's sort of, some are expected and some are just, but they're by request for the most part. I'm like throwing a couple to sell them up or just songs that I'm like, you know what, you all want these songs, but I know you really love this one. <laughs> um, but this one, I'm like, this is all, this particular show, the songs are all over the map because Everybody likes something different. So, like, I have songs that are at the moment that are ranging from – let's have a look at my list. Um, okay, so there's, like, Fleetwood Mac. Then it goes to Mariah Carey. Then it goes what? to Justin Timberlake. Uh, George Michael, Post Malone, uh, <laughs> The Killers. Uh, <laughs> Man. <laughs> Debbie Gibson. <laughs> Debbie Gibson. It's, it's, it's literally – it's like an insanity set. <laughs> So wow. I know that every single one of these songs, well, maybe Sands one or two, every single one of these songs, people are going to be like, okay, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's like fun. Amazing. But it's fun. But it's fun and unexpected. And, like, I do it via Stage It, which is a, a streaming platform outside of, like, the social media um, stations. Because I feel like the, the, Facebook's great, Instagram's great. The two things I, I don't love about doing shows purely on those networks, it's too easy just to be like, I'm going to go see some <laughs> getting distracted yeah. and just being like, oh, squirrel, then doing something else. And the other thing is the bandwidth that you use for it varies. So the way you sound or the way that you come across visually can vary wildly depending on how many people like it. It's sort of, well, uh, I did. Never you know thought what I mean? Of that. Yeah. Differently and it, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a fan of, not knowing what you're giving somebody, whereas I know the quality that comes off stage it. Like mm-hmm. I know the sound quality sounds great. Like the visual, it might stagger like a, a hair behind in terms of lag, but it's really good picture quality. And I can also read everybody's chat feed as I'm playing, so I could I could see people people's clap emojis going clap 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 clap. clap. <laughs> <laughs> What People up? can tip so, you on the platform and make it rain like a dollar if you want. Like it's <laughs> fun, but I watch people talk like throughout. Like I'll start playing an intro to a song, and then people will start being like, "Oh, I know what song that is." Uh-huh. Like it, 
it's interactive in its own way, but it keeps people focused on the on the show that you're playing. So like everyone is separate but kind of in a room together doing this one thing. I feel like it makes it I don't know, it makes it feel more like a show. Like yeah. I know everyone's on Zoom and doing meetings and all that stuff, but I like that this this platform just pulls everyone aside to be like, you all know, like it's a real concert, like you all know why you're here. You're here to see this one thing. Yeah. And you're not leaving until it's over. And I, I love that idea. And it's Stage It? Is that? Yes. Where would they go to see that? Where would someone go if they want to check that out? There's links to it all over, like all my websites. But even if you just go to um, <clears throat> stage it, stage it com forward slash Katie Cole official, like all my shows are always listed there. But I have them listed like in the bio of my Instagram, the bio of my Twitter. Like okay. you can find those links. And I've posted the shows a couple of times. I'll post, oh, look, I'll post links to the show probably again tomorrow just to be like, hey, guys. Right, right. <laughs> if you don't have anything to do on Saturday, burr, 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 burr. <laughs> you know. Right. So with that being said, what, um, what's in the future for you, for you as far as, um, new albums or touring when next year, if you can, what, what is your plan right now with all that? Or do you have one? Well, I have a bit of a plan. It's monstrously difficult to come up with a concise plan knowing that you can't, <laughs> right, right. you can't really do that anymore. Like, you can plan releases and online things. Um, but so much of what I do is, it's hard to, like, the reason I do the online shows is because I like to show people my personality and what you get to do on a stage is obviously showcase your songs and your material, but you get to have a, a general conversation with people. Mm-hmm. And that's a real shame. Like, I, I love the online shows because I get to do that still and people get to have that sense of, music and meets personality, but not being able to do that on a bigger sense is, is really challenging because I, I want desperately to tour. I, I want to go out there and play shows. I sure. Want, I just want to do that because it's what I'm best at, I think. Um, <laughs> but what I can do is I can release material. I can write music. So I've been, obviously I have more music. I mean, I have more music planned to come out. I have a Christmas one coming out on the 11th of December. Nice. Just, uh, a version of Oh Holy Night. And I went full, it's a full balls out uh, orchestral sort of experience. Ooh. Very vocal heavy, like all of the background vocals, all that stuff. I just, Christmas is one of those things that I, I love putting out a Christmas song every year. And I've, I've written Christmas songs. I like, I like the feeling of like, even if like the, Everything's just gone to basically hell. <laughs> right. At Christmas time, whether you're a Christmas person or not, it's nice to gather people together and have a moment of whether it's reflection or appreciation of the moment or to celebrate family. I don't care what it is that you see personally out of it. I love Christmas for that reason. So I always try and do something Christmas mm-hmm. time in terms of releases. But I have Christmas one coming out, and then next year I have. I think at least three other singles ready to go. And then I've I've been writing a lot more since, you know, being in lockdown and just demoing a lot of those songs. I have a really long process with songwriting. It's writing and I've said rewriting like six billion times. Then it's demoing the song and knowing where I'm going with it. Like if the song is the song, okay, well now 
it's like, what outfit is it wearing? Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) And then you're like, I don't like that jacket. (laughs) Everything else, then it's it's that. It's playing that game with a song. But often if I've demoed, if I've demoed out a song, which is really the the layman's term for pre-production, if you've done pre-production for a song that's, you know, intense enough that that you understand where the hook is, the counter hook, the counter melody, the general idea of where the instrumentation is going. It may not be the best drum kit that you've been able to program, but it's pretty good and it's good enough. Yeah. Then everybody else can come in and do their job in terms of people that you hire to come play this or that because I hire people that can play, like surround yourself and people that can do a better job than you can. Right. <laughs> if you can't do it, hire someone who can do it way better than you. Right. Um, I'm like, if I need a piano player, I'm hiring, you know, I'm hiring good piano players, so forth and so forth. That's how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have more music coming out. I'm just demoing songs that I've written at the moment as well. But I've, yeah, I've stuff ready to go. It's just a matter of releasing stuff. I can't afford to just be like, um, be like the Smashing Pumpkins to be like, hey guys, here's 20 songs. <laughs> no <laughs> big deal. Bye. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Are like you... I have to focus each each song like it has to get its own individual attention and I have to tell people this song, this song, this song and drive people a bit nuts with it because there's just so much there's so much music to consume out there and there's so much distraction and so much um it's not that there's it's not that people are attention deficit, but especially if you're spending all your time online or on a phone. You've got a challenging medium between what your relationship is with technology. So if you're trying to find work and joy all at the same time on this one medium, it's quite confusing on the poor brain. Sure. So I understand people don't hear the music that I'm putting out or see the videos that I put out right away. If it takes three or four goes, it'd be good. Hey, guys. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fine. It's, I get it's not... I used to take it a little bit personally that I'd be, you know, I'd be like, oh, here's the first anniversary of this video that's come out. People would be like, is this new? (laughs) 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 And like fans of mine that I recognize their name that like all my posts or whatever, (laughs) it's like, no. (laughs) But I get that. Sometimes, and as I was saying to you before about um, people hearing music but also getting to know your personality, I know that there's also – especially with fans and knowing that some people have seen you live and some people just interact with the personality. And like, I get that. That's fine too. Right. I'm, I'm an interesting person. I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, but yeah, I have more music coming out. I always do. I'm excited for what I have coming out. Like I, I don't, I never give too much away until I'm giving it all away. Um, but I'm, I'm very excited and very pumped. Good, good. What, what was the latest one you released? Was it that, um, hands tied. Correct. Yeah, I put hands tied out. It was, I think, it was only a few weeks ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, that was a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's a great song. I must say, I really enjoyed that. Oh, I'm very proud. I'm very proud of that. Um, I uh, actually wrote. I wrote. I wrote a full album when I went in to release the um, EP. I was mentioning a couple of times things that break part one. I put out, but I recorded a full album. Um, with Howard um, in the studio at um, Blackbird in Nashville. And nice. I, after putting out the EP, I was just like, you know what? You know, people, 
if you give people 10 songs, they're going to like two or three. If you give people five songs, they're going to like two or three. Right. If you give people one song, they're going to like one song. <laughs> I just did the math pretty quickly of like, you need to focus. If something's out, it's then old and re- not redundant, but it's, it's like, oh, I want something new and I want to hear something new. So if I, you know, stretch out each song a little bit further, give it the attention that it deserves so people get the chance to hear it a few times before passing or moving on to the next thing, that's really the best outcome for a song. Because I can tell you right now, the first couple of times I've heard like songs that are absolute hit songs by artists, sometimes you're like, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. yeah, no, it happens. And then you hear it another time, another time, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't get this right away. Right. But, I know some songs take a couple of times and then all of a sudden it's like, oh my, I, where was I without this song? Yeah. I want to give my chance, my songs the chance to be that for somebody that they hear it the second time or the third time and they go, oh, I get, I get that now. Or that, or it's, or I get that, but I like that other song of hers better. I don't care what, as long as you get to hear the music and you've had the times and you've had the times that it's been thrown at you enough times that you've had the chance to, experience it having a video for a song is obviously the it's it's an expensive promotional tool but people really do listen with their eyes so having something to show people in a visual scope is always optimal so that people will i don't know they'll just hear it a bit, a bit better sure <laughs> sure okay well listen katie it was great talking to you um i really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to us this evening and the energy no, no and just positive thank you for reaching out and i'm glad that we could i'm glad that we could connect like i i yeah i appreciate you guys being persistent and going like come on yeah yeah <laughs> hey you know if, if you don't keep asking and or if you don't ask then the answer is always no right correct correct but i appreciate you letting me tell some of my story and my strange ideas about life <laughs> <laughs> it was great it was great um if ever you want to come on again you got anything to promote just let me know and we'll uh we'll get you on i will absolutely you guys take care okay have a good night thank you thank you uh- that's all for this week join us next week for another episode of the rock and roll and coffee show podcast available on all your favorite podcast listening platforms